I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey everyone, it's Lee here. Just a little bit of information before the Adam Holyoke interview that you're about to listen to. It is actually episode 31, despite what he says at the end. It's not our 32nd episode. Uh, he's an amazing man to talk to. Professional cricketer, professional MMA fighter, boxer, media presenter, TV show director, and then a cricket coach. Uh, so he has some amazing stories to tell. We get through plenty of these in the interview. However, there is one story that we do not cover. Uh, you'll hear Adam reference his younger brother, Ben, during the interview on multiple occasions. What you need to know is that in March of 2002, Adam's younger brother, Ben, was tragically killed in a car accident in Perth. His death at the age of 24 was the youngest of any England test cricketer. For this particular episode, we didn't feel as though we could bring this up with the respect it deserves, considering we probably more centred the chat around good times and laughs. Adam actually said uh, that we could ask about it, and in the future, we'd love this to be something that we feel confident doing. However, we believe it's definitely important information for you to be aware of throughout the interview. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Let's get into it. Stop beating your gums and sound the attack. Oh, right. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome everyone to another episode of the We Got The Chocolates podcast and what a special edition it is today has. Uh, this is actually our first time ever recording on the road, you would say. Are away from home today, yeah. Very away from home, although sort of a second home for you, I guess, uh, set up in the Queensland Cricket Office here. Uh, but very fortunate to have another guest, which is why we are here, and uh, and probably one of the bigger names we've had on the podcast, you'd have to suggest, uh, without wanting to, at the risk of embarrassing him, but I don't think he'll mind. So uh, he really, this man's actually played three different sports. I'll read a little bio for you here. Uh, three different sports professionally, but he's most known probably for his achievements in the cricketing world, uh, where he's played a staggering 173 first class and 284 list A games, plus four test matches and 35 one-day internationals, and all of those are for England, uh, 14 of which he captained. We've actually spoken about him uh, and his proficiency in joke-telling on the podcast in the past, a a few episodes back, Uh, and so if you haven't figured it out already, you haven't put two and two together, or you are a new listener, uh, the person that we're lucky enough to have chatting to us today is none other than Adam Holyoke. How are you? Hey, awesome, mate. Thanks for having me on. No, you are most welcome. Great microphone etiquette that you've got already. You can tell that you're quite a seasoned veteran of that type of activity. Well, you know, it's uh, you're good. You've got all the gear here. I came in. I thought I was coming walking into the set on BBC or something like that. You guys have got the tops on, all the part, mate, all the gear. That's right. Yeah, the tops are a new addition, actually, as though a Christmas present. Yeah, yeah, they fit well. But we, we try our best to be as professional as we can, even though we're definitely amateurs in this. Mm, yeah. Um, well, luckily you were quite late, so it gave us some time to set up, which was good. Wow, well, it was the Polynesian times, mate. We work on the Polynesian time. <laughs> 
Uh, Adam, uh, we, we usually start with something slightly more serious, like your sporting achievements and the like, but it sort of feels weird for me to call you Adam, uh, as it probably is for Lee here, because we both, you've coached didn't, both didn't of us. Didn't really roll off the tongue, actually, I'll be honest. Well, actually, when people say Adam, I usually look around and think, who the hell are they talking about? So I've got, <laughs> well, I don't think I've been, I only get called that by my mum, like, when I'm in trouble, so, um, yeah, or my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> but you have coached both of us as a part of the Queensland cricket squads over the last year, so we both know you as Smokes, so I'd like to get this out of the way so we can start referring to you by that nickname. And we, we like nicknames on the show. We like to ask our guests what it means. So is there a, a PG meaning behind the, the nickname Smokes? There is, actually. It's like I think when most people just join in the bandwagon, I've been called Smokes since I was about 12, but it's one of those things where people here at QC, the CEO, the, the chairman of the board, they all they all call me Smokes, but I don't think, a lot few people aren't sort of game to ask in case it's <laughs> yeah. not a great reason for why, but it's actually quite boring. It's like, you know, typical um, cricket nicknames, you know, has, I don't know where they got that from, <laughs> you know what I mean? So <laughs> the creative. Smokes is actually quite simple. People usually think it's something to do with like drug taking or smoking cigarettes, some of like that, <laughs> but it's actually Holly Oak. And then all through school I was called Holy Smoke. Right. And then I think that was too long and then it just went to Smokey and then Smokes. So it's actually just another boring cricket name, really. It's quite an evolution, though. It's got through three stages of life there. I quite like that. It has, yeah. Plus the yeah. test of time. No, it makes sense. That's, yeah. a, that's a good mm. one. No, that's a, that's a very Sorry to let you down. It was a, a boring one to start you off. <laughs> it's quite funny, though, how nicknames just like... Because I've called you Smokes the whole time and I would have no idea why. Like, I probably yeah. hadn't earned the right to call you that. It's just everyone else did. So I didn't even know your name was Adam, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I don't... Like I said, I don't... I don't even I, I, you know, own up to I don't look around when people say Adam I start looking around so yeah that's my even my mum and dad call me that now I think so now um, yeah. Smokes you actually usually I mean we try and encourage people to listen to an episode of the podcast uh, but you actually tried to do that and ran into yeah. some technical difficulties didn't you so yeah. we were going to sort of ask for a bit of feedback and see if there's <laughs> any areas you thought we could improve give you the Matt Renshaw episode to listen to you would have enjoyed that yeah well I tried to um, I tried to listen to one on the way up here this morning I live on the Gold Coast and I was a QC up here in Brisbane so I thought oh now that'll give me a good time to listen to all the decent stuff you guys have done on, on the way up. But I, th- I think I'm the te- hour drive would have been too long, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Technologically, I'm, um, I'm challenged, so it didn't happen. So, um, That's yeah, Unfortunately, I would no have. Problem. I'll listen to one on the way back. Yeah. Probably listen to myself. Listen I'll to listen own, to myself. Yeah. <laughs> straight to you, yeah, absolutely. Well, Haz, now that you did obviously get that important stuff out of the way in terms of the nickname basis, we can move on to you, uh, your cricketing expertise, Smokes. So some of our younger listeners, um, who we do have a few of actually, probably wouldn't have seen you play because your last uh, one-day international for England was actually in 1999. Um, mm. But those who did see you play, uh, which was me as I was growing up and, and probably you as well, Haz, um, know that I guess you probably weren't renowned for your sort of express pace or or having the perfect batting technique. I hope that doesn't offend you to say. No, um, but, but certainly uh, extremely skillful with sort of slower balls and then getting the ball to reverse swing probably before it was quite as fashionable as it is as it is now. Um, so I guess, yeah, you, you were certainly known for that and then obviously your sort of determination and aggressive nature with the bat. Mm. Um, what do you think it was that actually made you a successful cricketer? Because I've spoken to you a bit and you're not someone that sort of would say, I was born the most talented person ever. No. No, I, I think I'm probably speaking to the right people here to know what we're talking about. I mean, you guys are here having a crack. You, have, you know, you, you, you're not the most talented like <laughs> broadcasters yourself, but you're having a go and, you know, you'll make a go of it. So um, as I was the same, I was, you know, I think 
I was often compared to my brother, who was obviously highly talented, like next level talented. Um, you know, at the age of 18, smashing Warner McGrath around the place in your one-day international debuts, um, pretty talented stuff. So yeah. I think when you're compared to him, you're always, you're on a downer straight away. So, and, and I, I'm the first to admit I wasn't, you know, nat- naturally blessed with ability, but I, I kind of made up for it in other ways, in attitude. Um, just basically I played at an intensity, which I don't think, in the era I played in, I don't think anyone matched the intensity I played with. And I had to. It's not I'm not talking myself up. I just had to play at that intensity to be able to compete because my skills weren't necessarily as good as the others. Uh, and I pretty much got every ounce of what ability I had out of myself. So they were probably my my the best things I had. Um, like you said, I wasn't the fastest bowler in the world. And, you know, I just, as a batsman, I just relied on mental toughness and just getting what I could out of myself. So um, that's where my cricket was at, really. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I was reading somewhere that you were told by experts growing up that you, know, you should give up your bowling because it was sort of biomechanically retarded. And, mm. uh, but you, that was actually you, Troy Cooley, actually. Oh, me. really? Troy <laughs> Cooley said I was bowling stress fractures or his exact words. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you've gone on to get some of the best batters in the world out, like Ricky Ponting, Brian Lara, Mark and Steve Waugh. Mm. That's, that's a pretty serious 11 you've made yeah. up there. We've, we, talked, we talked to Renshaw, uh, Matt Renshaw about his and, and my... 11s, the best best players mm. we've gotten out. And, mm. uh, Funnily enough, has after we did that episode, I obviously went down to Adelaide and played in the second 11 game where Smokes was the coach. And so we got uh, him, Chris Swan and Mitch Swepson all doing their 11s uh, in the change room while we were batting one day. And Smokes' 11 was ridiculous compared to everyone else. He had Sachin Tendulkar in there. Brian Lara in there. Brian Lara a few times. Come on, like, <laughs> it was like, the thing is though, it's like the embarrassing thing was when I started seeing people like Martin Crow and people like that and young guys were saying, who's that? Like, this is that. You know you're getting old then when people, the wicked, the, the footage is in black and white. Like, like. <laughs> yeah, but you were counting uh, beach cricket wickets. Yeah, oh, hell yeah, beach cricket. No, no. I need Viv. I, I wanted to put Viv up there so badly because I got him out on the beach, but it's like, it can't. It's got to be like, it's got to be a list day or like a first class game, unfortunately. Would have been yeah. a big scalp. Yeah. Massive scalp. Absolutely. I just had him caught just in front of the esky. Just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, something that probably, probably, I guess, a lot of Australian listeners, which is probably where we're uh, predominantly marketed, well, we mm. market ourselves actually, has, but probably mostly in Australia, um, would not 
I guess, be aware of your county cricket career as well and the fact that you obviously had a lot of leadership roles throughout your cricket career. You actually captained Surrey to nine trophies between the years of 1993 and 2004. always find it awkward, like, telling our guests that because it's probably something you already know. But mm. um, did you find that captaincy, I guess, made you a better player? Because we sort of see it as a common trait if we talk specifically cricket at the moment that uh, a lot of probably modern day captains you can see that it sort of affects them affects them yeah yeah it's uh, a good really good question actually it's um i think there were times where it went both ways um and i think looking back on it now one of the roles i have um since finishing cricket is i go and, and coach the level three coaches back in australia on the art of captaincy and one of the the first thing I said, the first most important thing about captaincy is everyone says, oh, getting the right field positions or this or that or having a good team unit. I'm like, the most important thing about captaincy is making sure your own game's in order. Otherwise, you're playing with 10 men. And, you, I, you know, often the, the, the captain is the best player. So if you're playing with – no captaincy tactics make up for you allowing the captaincy to weigh down on your, on your, on your individual game. So – I think when I at county cricket, I was pretty much able to separate that. Um, when I played international cricket, I found it a bit harder because, as you guys know, there's a lot of extracurricular stuff that goes on with captaining your country, and especially places like Australia and England. You know, big countries, big responsibilities. So uh, I'd be lying if I said I. I think it, well, it definitely affected my my game there. I, I was fortunate or unfortunate, depending on which way you're looking at it to be made captain of England after five games. So I hadn't really established myself um, that well as a player. It would have been nice to have had longer to um, to do that. But I think when at that stage it was so rare for us to beat Australia um, <laughs> and we beat you guys 3-0 in a one-day series and I got man of the series and stuff like that. So they made me straight away, made me one day captain straight after that, which was flattering and everything like that. But in hindsight, I probably probably wasn't quite ready for that okay. jump at that stage. And what, what are your thoughts on that Aussie team you played back in the 90s? What do you think about them? Oh, I love those guys. Um, <laughs> just because I think it's funny, when I play against them, it's just, I mean, they're obviously amazing players. I mean, once in a lifetime players. We may never see players like that again in our life. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to see another team that were like that. You guys are probably too young, but the West Indies side in the 70s and 80s so were... We hear plenty of stories about them. They were, they were unbelievable. And I'd definitely put the Australians in that same bracket. So, you know, we might be lucky enough to see another side of like that come along. But um, I think also the thing about that side, which was the most of the characters, like, that was like it was like... Um, you know all those stories that you hear about, you know the people like Dennis Lilly and Rod Marsh and and Booney and the drinking games <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. It's like you're playing against these guys and they've got their own character out there, like caricatures of themselves out there on the field. It's just so much personality. I mean, people talk about their ability with the bat and ball or whatever, but they were big characters as well. No match referees back in those days, so you could get away with stuff and and right, it was good. And I think that created characters and battles and stuff like that so um they were actually my favorite side to play against they were the best but i loved i love playing against them it reminded me of backyard battles with my dad and brother because it was the same banter the same sort of stuff so and were you one to uh, embrace a battle smokes or did you did you did you like getting up and about for when people were coming hard at you well, i had to that was one of my tactics was um because i grew up in australia so and you know as you guys know here it's very much the australian way to 
little bit of gamesmanship, a little bit of mental disintegration. I think you guys hit it as that. Like, there's basically you guys are sledging, but it's like, let's call it mental disintegration. I loved it because my dad did it to me from the age of like five or six. And still to this day, we like do it to each other, like on the phone. Like, we're just like constantly finding ways to wind each other up. But um, yeah, I thought they, they were brilliant at it. And, and it's like anything. Like I think you're seeing at the moment, Josh Butler, the stump mics on, and yeah. and people complaining about it. And it's like you're always going to get people who complain about that side, the Australian side. But no one would have complained if they weren't so good. So yeah. the fact they won so much, I was like, everyone would be like, oh, but they're sledging. It's like, you know what? I don't think it would have made any difference. Even if they weren't sledging, they were still better than everybody else. So um, people hid behind the reason and and gave the excuse that that's why they won solely on the fact that they were sledging. It's like, you know, Warney was quite a good bowler. So was McGrath, you know. So um, it doesn't really I, – I don't listen to those things. I just – I think they're a great side and full of great personalities. Mm. Well, Smokes, actually, it seems as you've uh, mentioned Warney, I just mm. wanted to um, – I wanted to just share something for you that you might find interesting. I'm unsure if you're aware of your YouTube fame. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. But there is a, it's, it's just, a, there's two, well, there's probably two videos that I can use and you're in multiple videos, but uh, there's <laughs> two that I can use as a direct comparison here that I would just want you to consider some viewership numbers on. Um, so there's option A right, on YouTube is uh, titled Adam Holyoke scores 83 against South Africa, yeah. one day international. Yeah. Yeah. About five people watched that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a 189 views. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. exciting. The second YouTube video is titled Worst Batting to a Shane Warne Straight Ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many views do you reckon that's got? Oh, that's got to be in the millions, surely. Um, it, is, it, is, it is. It's actually, it's just shy. It's 900,000 views. Is it? That yeah. It's yeah. And I reckon most of those are my family. I reckon, <laughs> <as well. laughs> um, I'll tell you who was quite damning in his, uh, in his, I guess, description of your playing of this ball was the commentator. Tony, Tony Gregg. Greg. Yeah, 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 I heard that. I felt a bit, that was the thing that disturbed me the most. Actually, when we got out of that, um, there's a couple of funny stories about that, but uh, we'd um, obviously you see a highlight, any highlight you go back, you look go back and look at the highlights of your careers later on, you go, oh, what sort of shot was that? So you don't see the build-up to it and what's happened in beforehand and everything like that. And um, So any highlights always look 100 times worse. But um, the funny thing about that game is I came in, he'd been spinning them square, so obviously we were worried about getting nicked off to slip and um, I think... Uh, and this one I let go, didn't spin, hit. Well, I, w- I said when I came off, I said what I didn't know, obviously, because I was looking down at the ball, not looking back at my stumps. And um, when I walked off and sat in the change room, Dean Headley and Mark Ramprakash were in the change room and I just said like, so what did that just clip the outside of off? I <laughs> went, middle and leg, mate. I said, probably too close to leave then. <laughs> so <laughs> I got a little bit of kudos there for not taking it too seriously. But uh, it was um, yeah, it was a fair, fairly good bit of bowling. Every time I see Warney, he likes to remind me about it oh, as that, well. Yeah. Well, Smokes, do you mind if I, uh, if I just play that sound effect for, uh, for our oh, listeners so that they can, they can rude hear the didn't. description? Yeah, just so they can hear the description of it. Holyoke and he won't want to watch this replay. 
everything's exposed. And- uh, yes, yeah, so hmm. folks, that's um, that's how it was described. Yeah. <laughs> Did I you laugh. want to watch that replay? Oh, I've watched it hundreds of times. I, <laughs> I laugh. I actually, um, there was a guy called um, Rory Bremler who was a comedian in in England, and he he did a clip uh, on it. Uh, a whole comedy sketch about it. So the, <laughs> whole, the, the whole sketch, it was like a whole sketch. It was like me, because in the one days I'd like smashed Warnie around a little bit. So there was footage of me like belting him around. And then, then there was footage of me standing there with Graham Thorpe. And he was saying, oh, how would you play, um, how would you play Warnie? So I was saying, oh, you just do this and you do that. And obviously all the while this um, comedian's doing impersonations of my so-called Australian accent. And, <laughs> and then... Um, obviously telling him how to do it and then obviously the next ball the, the, the highlight is me just getting bowled out first ball so it's like ah shit it's like, <laughs> so uh, yeah I've, I've relived this so many times so and people are always like oh you're going to be alright if I talk about it so it was, it's part of my history so it's it's um, I've embraced it no, that's, no, that's we, what I like about you Smokes you're happy yeah. to talk about these things yeah well we probably should move on to a more positive thing for you to, <laughs> to reminisce on yeah, yeah I was going to say how long are we going to yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well we could, we could mention that many people finish their careers in a, in a poor way or poor performances they don't like to think about but you mm-hmm. actually came out of retirement in 2004 to play a charity match World mm-hmm. 11 versus in Asia 11 and you, you finished your last three balls of your career with three wickets and a hat trick yeah I know yeah it was um, it was it was a funny hat trick because it was like I got it was one of those ones where I got two wickets off the last ball of an over and then a wicket oh, the first yeah, ball of the next yeah. over so it was split and I bowled it and then in that Warney was on our side in that game because I was playing for the rest of the world and I think Sean Pollock and some big names, anyway, I can't remember exactly who was playing, but um, I remember running around like I just won the World <laughs> Cup. But obviously no one else was really aware of it, so <laughs> no, one no one else quite put one and one together that it was a hat-trick. So you're running around like, and I think they were just thinking, what's what's this idiot doing? It's like he's just got, I think it was like, I don't know, Javagal Shrinath out or something like that. I, was like, I don't know, it was like it was number 11 or something. It wasn't anyone of any note, I know that. And, um, and then we watched the replay uh, in the change room and again Warney was there and I, I said oh the, I said they were like well what are you doing there I said well I've got a hat trick but when I've seen other people get it other people <laughs> usually everyone else runs up to them but you guys just didn't give a <laughs> shit but it was a good way that was, that was literally the last ball of my so-called international career was a hat trick so it was a good way to finish That's yeah. very, did you ever get tempted to uh, come out of retirement then Smokes um, well, I did. Oh, I did come out of retirement, but I just didn't get internationally played another international. So um, I played T twenties for Sussex, Essex, yeah. Oh, Essex, Essex. Sorry, yeah, Essex, played a couple yeah. of that. But yeah, I was like, I, I I got asked to go and play in the IPL in two thousand nine with John Buchanan, and then I was warming up for that. I was getting ready to play, and I, my heart just wasn't in it. So I just yeah. um, I just called it a day. Yeah. Because yeah. I was right at the start of 2020 as well, it wasn't was, it? 2009 ish. Yes, well, the yeah. start of the IPL. Certainly, the I think it, that was the second or third IPL that I was going to play in. Okay, I mean, we started um, T20 in England in, England, in 2003. Yeah. Right. yeah, that was early hours, wasn't mm. it? And then right at the start, 2020 was. I know when Australia first played New Zealand, they were wearing retro kit and everyone was wearing yeah, bucket hats. It was treated yeah, as like yeah. a gag. Oh, it was like. When I mean, when when they asked us, you know, we're playing. I literally thought it was they were announcing it on April Fools. I thought it's got to be some sort of joke <laughs> because we'd played everything before that sixty overs, forty five, fifty five. We were like, why don't we just play fifty over cricket? And then they said we're going to play twenty. I was like, surely that's a joke. 
As we remember playing it, thinking this will never catch on. It was like, <laughs> this will never catch on in England, and it didn't. It's just gone worldwide. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, talking about that development, I mean, you played county cricket in England back in 1992, and since retiring, you've done a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but sticking with cricket for now, I mean, you, you recently helped coach the English Lions, and now an assistant coach with the Queensland Bulls team. How have you seen the, the game develop over the years? Like, what, what sort of what are the big changes that you've really noticed? Well, my first pre-season was 1989 yeah. um, so to give you a, a sort of quick snapshot of that we turned up our contracts were April the 1st we turned up everyone just kind of they handed out some gear some guys gear didn't fit because they'd put on so much weight over the winter <laughs> um, I was I was young I was 17 or something at the time but it was the physio who was like a doctor from World War Two. He um, he literally said, "All right, you guys are all unfit. Start doing sprints." So he started doing two hundred meter sprints, having done like nothing out. So people were just getting hamstring injury, injured, injury. And I remember watching it. it was like, oh, well, that was April the first. Our first game was meant to be April the eighteenth or twentieth. So it was like two or three weeks later, and it was like, right, we've got to get fit. So. All the way up to when I retired in 2004, I remember we were going, getting ready, preparing for the finals of the T20. And I remember I had a parachute strapped to my back and and running through cones and stuff like that. And I was thinking, wow, how far has this game come in yeah. this time? It was crazy. And then all the way till now, when I look at what you guys do and I'm like, any guy my age who's sitting here saying back in our day was better, they really need to go take their head and flush it down the toilet. <laughs> the game is like so far advanced from when I was playing. It's so much more professional. Um, that doesn't mean that there were elements of our game back in the day that you could still learn from, of course. But the game is so far advanced physically and professionally. It's um, it's crazy. Mm. You have to accept. I think as a coach, you got to accept that and move with it and learn. And, uh, and still try and pass on the experience that you've gained over the years. Yeah, and you're probably slightly more relaxed and have that relaxed outlook on the game compared to a few more professional coaches. I mean, uh, I know I know the boys in the Queensland squad love having you around and, and you've got pearls mm. of wisdom that you give us, which are awesome, how to play the juke balls, things mm. like that. Uh, but you, you do uh, have probably been guilty in the past of being maybe a couple of minutes late to the odd training session <laughs> or wearing, wearing jeans and thongs to a training session, bringing, bringing your son along when he's got a day off school in an environment when those things are probably slightly frowned upon maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that... The way I've always played my game, uh, even back in the day or whatever, is I, I think that at the end of the day, we can all be guilty of, this is not war, this is, you know, I know you've got to compete, you compete hard, but at the end of the day, it's a game, you're supposed to enjoy it. So um, I feel that as a coach, my my knowledge is is my, is the key to what I am, anything I can pass on. Mm. I'm not... I'm not one who's too worried about what you wear. I don't care if you like got slightly the wrong T-shirt on or, you know, if you've got a reason for why you're going to be late, then, you know, hey, that, that's life. This is what happens. You know, you're here to enjoy the game. I think as soon as it's, it, it, coaches can be guilty of making it feel like a job. So I think um, that's my um, – the way I try and coach. I try and be relaxed. I try and let the players – do things their way and try and just guide and offer advice where I can. I and mean, that's, I mean, you as a player, you'll have a, a motto. When I was playing, it was like, I want to bowl every ball like it's the last ball. Like I'm gonna, I could kill over dead tomorrow. I want to bowl it with that much effort. And I want to bat as if this is the last time ball I'm ever going to face. So every ball I tried to do that. And as a coach, I now just try and um, try, I know how stressful it is to play. And I try and bring uh, that relaxed environment onto the players because 
it's hard enough as it is. There's enough pressures on you as a player without a coach adding more to that. I think as a coach, you've got to try and take the pressure away and remind the players. We're all guilty of it, of thinking this is life and death when it's not. It's just a game. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. That's, cool. That's great. Do you, uh, Smokes, obviously, like that era, probably you would have had a more relaxed approach, uh, certainly, like when you first began playing professional cricket. Um, I always hear sort of Kerry O'Keefe get on get on the mic and tell stories about when he had to bowl one day that was ridiculously hung over and yeah. ended up taking four for and stuff. Have you got any quality stories of that sort of nature of people that you just were the most relaxed operators that you've ever played cricket with that have come and uh, come performed under duress? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's plenty of stories. I mean, I went, I sort of went through the era of like, the drinking culture when I first started was you'd you'd be entitled to order a couple of drinks after the game. So it was like if you ordered anything other than a Jack Daniels and Coke or a beer, you were like you're a girl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas now it's like obviously they've got you in, you have to have your supplements and your and Gatorade and what have you. But um, I think I think probably more is just what I'm noticing is is quite a big difference is obviously the crackdown on what you're allowed to say on the field um, and what was just expected back in the days. Obviously, um, making my debut against uh, Australia, I, you know, I was coming out here. So we're coming out on the tour out to play against Australia and we all have team goals. Like, So I remember sitting there and Alex Stewart was, you know, I want to score, you know, th- two or three hundreds. I want to score X amount of games, uh, uh, X amount of hundreds and be the top run scorer in the series. Darren Goff was, I want to dominate Mark War and Steve War. Everyone had to go around and say where their goal was. I just said, well, I'm going out to Australia. I said, I know they're going to hate me, so I want to leave Australia the most unpopular man <laughs> in the country. So my brother was like laughing because he was pretty labour character as well. And um, so we, we think the first game was SCG. And I think within half an hour I had the whole 40,000 of them singing Hollyoaks or Wanker. So um, my brother ran past and he was like, well, it looks like you achieved your goal. I said, I don't know what the <laughs> you're talking about, mate. They're talking about you. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, How did you manage to polarise opinion that quickly? I don't know. I just had one of those heads, I think, which people just hated. It was just like, especially, I think there's not many things Australians hate more than a pommy cricketer. It's only one, one that's defected from Australia. Wow, well, well, I was going to say there's only one thing more, and that's one that was originally Australia in the first place. So I think some of my favourites were Judas, um, <laughs> Turncoat, Traitor, and then added to that was the fact that I had a brother as well. So there's two of us. So it was just like it was relentless. And I mean, actually, a good one on that was um, when I made my debut, my test debut, because we obviously played Australia in the one days and. We'd won, beaten you guys 3-0. I got man of the series. My brother got man of the match in one of the games. So when we went to play the test matches, we knew the Aussies were going to come hard at us because, uh, well, we'd been so dominant in the one day. So it's kind of like D-Day. You're, like, you're, on, you're on death row. You know you're going to get it when you come out there. And I walked out to bat and um, as I come out there, it was like McGrath. So Glenn McGrath's bowling the, the first ball. And uh, so I turned around and we got Healy keeping. And we had Mark Taylor at first slip, Mark Waugh second slip, Shane Waugh in third slip, Steve Waugh gully, and a couple of others are yapping away at me as well. So um, I'm taking guard and I'm looking down. I'm thinking, you're just thinking, trying to stay present. So, you know, all I'm thinking, try and watch the ball, McGrath, um, watch the ball, watch the seam, try and like stay present. Don't think past, don't think future, stay present. And then they started clapping. So like, come on then, boys, here we go. Here we go. Got this bloke here making his test debut. So I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, they're going down the debut thing. You know, 
yeah, whatever, get some new material, boys. <laughs> and he was like, come on, here we go. All his family watching him on TV, back in Australia, <laughs> <laughs> wishing he was playing for Australia. So I'm thinking, wow, they're going down the Australian route. And then I said, Auntie Jan, Uncle Rex. I was like, oh, my God, they know Uncle Rex. It was like, <laughs> so they'd actually gone away and like found out my family and, <laughs> and researched it and everything like that. And then they were like, and, and because it's Warney, who was the, you know, one of the predominant ones, and, and Warney's obviously got his, his reputation with the women, as I'm facing my first uh, ball in, in Test cricket, I'm looking up thinking, with McGrath running into bowl, I'm thinking, Shane Warne and Auntie Jan, was that a thing? Or like <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I luckily bowled a wide one first four, I was able to let it go. <laughs> oh, that's class. And uh, we just mentioned your, your coaching earlier and uh, you probably made a decision that not many people would have thought a common sense one is you decided mm. to coach a team in Afghanistan during the yeah. turbulent time over there, terror attacks going on. You've got to tell us what that experience was like. Yeah, that was, um, that was an interesting one actually. Um, it was probably, I don't know, it was probably just before I started here, I reckon, maybe three or four years ago. Um, Dean Jones asked me to come over there and, and coach one of the sides in their uh, Afghan Premier League, which I guess was equivalent to the Big Bash here. And um, obviously my first concern was safety. So I asked about it and they said, well, we're we getting um, presidential security, which, which we did, like amazing security. Um, and, and went there and I was like a two-week coaching gig, something like that. So I think we played like six or seven games in two weeks. So pretty full on. Yeah. But uh, amazing security. Like we had um, armoured vehicles and... Um, machine gun guys like on jeeps all the way around us uh, it was Jeez. like um, and the hotel was crazy like you had to it's like going through airport securities to get it. it took 10 minutes to get in every time and um and then obviously the ground was barricaded as it was so um i think it was might have been the second or third game we were playing the actual bomb went off and nine of the security were killed and oh. it's um it blew out one of the buildings out the front of um of the stadium. So uh, the way I like to explain it to people who weren't there, it's like people are like, how I, this bomb, we went off 75 meters from where I was in the change room. So people go, wow, that was like close. I said, well, the, like, the way I like to explain it is if you're at the Gabba and you're in the change room, the bomb went off on the corner of where that car park is, that Stanley street car park is. So they, that was the first checkpoint. Then you have to get into the stadium then into the actual stands and then into the, so there was still three more checkpoints to get through. But I could feel the vibrations like yeah. go through my body. It was like it was. Were you questioning it, your decision to coach at that stage? I was questioning whether I was alive. At the time. <laughs> I was like, it was, it was, and the, I thought, surely not. We're in Afghanistan. It was a cliche to think there was a bomb. I was thinking, there's got to be an explanation. It's a earthquake, it's something, yeah, no. anything. But but I was thinking it's too cliche. And then we had. Um, Herschel Gibbs and a few other guys were, and they, they, I see them sprinting off the. I was like, okay, this is something serious. So um, obviously, we were paid up front when we got there, and they said, if there's any trouble, then you can leave and go straight home. That's you get your cash up front. So, um, do you take that clause? Well, I had the cash. It was like I had it in my um, back of the hotel, so I had the option to just get on the next plane out of there if I wanted. Yeah. But also. Um, Afghan people, they were like, it's like, it's easy when you're over here away from everything to just view them as people from, almost from another planet. You don't really, 
know them. They're so far. Like we read about Afghanistan in the newspaper, but yeah. I'd been there already for four or five days, and I'd n- spoken to these people on the on the phone and on FaceTime leading up to getting over there. So I'd sort of developed a little bit of rapport and a relationship with them, and and their passion for cricket was was no different to us. They love yep. the game, you know. Um, I'm sure there's no one that does as good a co- podcast over there as you guys do, but <laughs> maybe there's a job to be had over there, mate. So the language barrier might be an issue. <laughs> but um, you could see that they were just so happy to have international players in their country. So then straight away I was sort of stuck with like a, with a moral decision to make. Do I just bail on these guys? If I go now, these guys are never getting cricket back here again. It's like... Yeah. Um, so they came to us and, and they were like literally, you could see they were like heartbroken. I think they were thinking this is these guys are going to leave. Our tournament's finished and um, that's it. It's going to be done. Anyway, um, I was sitting there and I was like, I said, I don't want to make a decision now. A bomb just went off like two, three hours ago. Obviously you're emotional. You're, like, you're not going to make a good decision. So, so they got all the facts around us and decided, you know, told us how it was going to move. Going forward, they were going to give us presidential security, so they were going to block off two kilometres around the stadium. Um, and then after the next day, I'd sort of relaxed a little bit and I said, you know what, uh, when I was growing up, my dad always said, you know, you stay till the job's done. You never leave, quit on a job. So um, I just decided, I said, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay, I'm going to do my fulfil my contract and stay till till the end of the gig. And I was satisfied that I was going to be safe. So um, that's what I did. And uh, I don't know if you can take all the credit for this, but obviously Afghanistan cricket's gone from strength to strength <laughs> since, uh, since no, you, you coached over nothing, there. No, that's nothing to do with me. They're, the talent that was there before I got there was um, outstanding. You know, like they already had guys performing on a world level, but I think since then they've they've got international status and um, they get, they're only going to get stronger. Yep. I mean, I made a big statement when I was there, or, or I think afterwards, or I said I think they'll be one of the top sides in the world within a decade. Um, they've, they've got a big population. Um, they all play cricket. There's no other sports to, you know, not like in Australia where we've got rugby, AFL, soccer, hockey. There's cricket's their thing. They've got a big population and they're big, stronger. They're not like the Indians. These guys are big. They've got the Russian influence, um, physical. So they're big, strong boys. So they've got some guys who wang it down there. and Hit them a long way as well. Yeah, exactly. So they're. Um, I think they're going to be something to... Yeah, be aware of. Um, Smokes, you've actually had a couple of terrifying experiences in your life, I believe, because I've heard a little whisper of uh, a story of you actually being robbed by a grandma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whilst in Australia as well, which, yes. uh, which is not a common sort of news item. No, no. Ah, that was, um, yeah, that was horrific. It was, uh, <laughs> I, um, I was moving house and I had some excess stuff, stuff which was too good to just throw down the tip. So I decided I was – and there's a, an app called Gumtree where you can sell – off your unwanted household belongings for like a quite a low price. So yeah, Sam, Sam's all over anything that makes him <laughs> a little bit of money on the side. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I decided I wanted to sell a few things and um, I got this uh, cabinet and um, I put it on there. I think it was $50, something like that from memory. And this little old lady came around. We'd had like quite a lot of um, conversations leading up to it and to and fro. And she got there and, and she was old. I mean, I'm not great with, once people get over 70, they just, they're just old. So I, don't know, I reckon she was 80-something. But she seemed so nice. And, um, <laughs> and like, I just – she said, oh, can you carry it out the front for me, love? Like, so 
I've carried it and then I put the seats down. I was put the towel down so I didn't scratch the back of her boot and everything like that and put it in there and she said, oh, I'm just going to get the cash out of the glove box, love. So she went and she got in the car and then I heard the car start and I thought, oh, well, maybe she's getting the air con on, <laughs> cooling it down. And next when she started driving off, and, in, and I was still in denial because I was thinking, oh, she's just going to turn it around. Only the fact was she was facing the right way and she just, <laughs> she just drove off. <laughs> so and I know at that stage, you know, I'm, you know, I've obviously fought professionally and I'm meant to be mean and chasing and like, or be angry or whatever, but the, um, the only emotion that sort of came to my mind was I was just embarrassed and I was just trying to see if any of my neighbours just see me get rolled by some 80-year-old lady. So <laughs> she was mean. She was like, she just, and then I tried conversing with her and she just blanked me. So I got donuts. So oh. I was like <laughs> Screamed. Yeah. And I mean, you're a coach at Queensland Cricket now, so you're back living in, on the Gold Coast and hasn't been all plain sailing even apart from that. I've heard your place of residence has been broken into or at least attempted to a couple of times since being, uh, being in Australia. Yeah, well, one was um, in that was in Perth. I think the the the, okay. the main one was yep. uh, that was that was quite a, a scary um, occasion actually. Um, I was I was out and my ex wife was she was at home and I went out with a friend and I was I was actually out eating dinner and she messaged saying what what are you still doing here Haven't you left yet? So then I realised that she was there was someone was in the house. I was only like probably half a kilometre away, so I just jumped in my car and started driving home. And I rang her and I said, what's going on there? She said, oh, I can hear someone out there. I said, push the alarm. So we had a panic alarm in the in the bedroom. So I, at this stage, I'm probably like 200 metres away from my house. So in my mind, I'm thinking, she's pushing the panic alarm. This guy's going to come running out the front at the same time that I'm driving in there. And my kids are in there as well. I'm thinking, I'm going to run this fool over. <laughs> this guy comes out, he's getting hit by the car. So I... Um, I came like flying in there, but um, and and as as I came in, uh, I could see this guy running out the back. So I um, I started chasing him, like, but this guy I think he was like quite a skinny guy, like pretty athletic. So I started chasing him, like he went up over the fence. I started chasing. I went up over the fence as well. And then I come to the next one was a bit higher fence. I started chasing. I was thinking if I get this guy, I'm going to pull his limbs off, and. Um, He's too fast, eh? He's like, <laughs> he's too fast and too agile. He's just over there. I was like, who the hell was that guy? It was like totally outran me and outmaneuvered me. And I was just like left there, like just feeling fat and unfit. Yeah, maybe you still had that parachute on from preseason. <laughs> I think I did. I think I've constantly walked around with it. It feels like I walk around with one 24 <laughs> 7. Oh, now you've actually uh, just alluded to probably our next question, actually, Smokes, which, uh, which was about your professional. Uh, I guess fighting career. You, obviously, mm. most people probably don't chase robbers or burglars, but that right. was something that you were happy to do, despite the unsuccessful nature of it. Yeah. Uh, but we've, yeah, we've spoken plenty about your professional cricketing life, mm. uh, but then obviously since retiring, uh, you competed professionally in boxing, MMA as well. Mm. Um, so I guess is, is fighting something you did a lot of before that point, or was it just something that just you sort of stumbled across after your cricket career? No, I, I'd done it from a young age. I'd done it from when I was 12. Um, I used to sneak out of boarding school to go and um, do boxing. Um, so I'd box from the age of that. And during the off-season, I used to go and spar with a lot of my mates who were, um, you know, fighting for titles or I'd go and spar with them. And then I um, – but obviously I could only do that during the off-season um, and when I had a bit of spare time, so I'd do that. And then I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in about – um, probably just the last year or two before I retired from cricket. So I started doing some of that, which is more of a grappling sort of wrestling art. So um, I did that. And then 
after I retired, I put on some weight pretty quickly and um, I decided, but I also broke my ankle. So I couldn't, I couldn't, um, couldn't do much running. So I decided I was going to go back and start wrestling to try and lose the weight. And then one day I just turned up and, and the guys were there. We said, it's, it's, we're not doing wrestling today. We're doing um, boxing, striking. So because it's an MMA place. I said, okay, I'll join in. So the guy straight away was like, Oh, you've done this before? I said, yeah, I've been boxing since I was 12. So then he said, um, would you be interested in coming down? We've got the Australian cruiserweight champion here. Would you be interested in coming down and doing some sparring with him? He's getting ready for, for a fight. So I said, yeah, sure. I'm not very fit, but I'll do a few rounds. And anyway, I went down and I, I dropped him. <laughs> and um, straight away there was people then asking me to if I would be interested in fighting professionally. And I was like, I wasn't interested. I was like, I was nearly 40 at the time and – and I was like, nah, I'm not interested. And then he appealed to the one thing which would always get me to do anything, and that was my ego. So um, <laughs> he said, wouldn't it be great to say you captained your country and box professionally? No one's ever done that before. And they hadn't at the time until Andrew Flintoff went and did it as well. So um, I said, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. So he said, well, I've got, I can go organise a fight for you. So I said, okay, well, when's the fight? And he said, fight Saturday. So what day's today? It was like Tuesday. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I could get in a fight down the pub. We've got gloves on and a canvas and there's no glasses. And if I start getting hurt, the referee will stop it. So let's do it. So next minute I was making my professional boxing debut. And then I went and I knocked that guy out. And then um, because of that, everyone knew me as a wrestler back on the Gold Coast. And I was asked to go and fight in a, in a cage fight. So the next minute, you know, within a month I was like, I'd, I'd done both. So um Interesting one was like talking about Australian sledging and, and what have you. I've always been sledged by Australia, all my life, been sledged by Aussies. and Even after cricket, just in general life. Just in general life. Just even my dad, <laughs> my own dad like had a crack, has a crack at it still. But um, as I'm walking to that cage, I remember I was like, I don't think I've ever, I'm not a nervy kind of guy. I'm usually pretty chilled. I take things in my stride. But when I was walking to that cage for the first time, I was like, the freaking hell am I doing here? Like, how have I ended up? Where, where's this, how have I ended up in this situation where I'm walking towards a cage? About to lock me in the cage there, and I could see the guy that was in there. I could see like him from his standing. He's already in there, and his neck. I could see it was like sticking out from like as almost as wide as his head. And I was walking towards the cage. My trainer is also my best mate, and one of the best trainers in Australia. And as I was walking to the cage, I think it might be one of the few times in life where I think I was like slightly hesitant. I think he picked up on that and he was like, um, as I was walking there, I think he could feel that I was hesitant and he just leaned in. I thought, oh, here we go. He's going to give me like a church hillian speech here, give me something, some motivation. He goes, bet you wish you'd stuck to cricket. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, getting slaves by Aussies there as well. <laughs> Even on my own side. And like my dad, for example, like we're talking about my dad. I was like, um, when I was – first went to England they wanted me to my parents wanted me to study become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that unfortunately there was this thing called grades which got in the way of that but um <laughs> wasn't happening all the while my mum was like come on you got to go back to uni you got to like you got to get an education you know sensible advice all the while I kept on progressing through the ranks then eventually the day comes when you get called up to play for your country so um i got the call he'd been picked to play for england so i, like, I can't wait first place i'm a ring is my dad i'm gonna tell him like you can't well, you know this is they've been doubting me all this while so i ring up mum answered the phone I said hey mum is um dad there she goes yeah he's just sitting here i said put the miserable bastard on <laughs> so he gets on there i said guess what he goes i've just been picked to play for england he goes oh it's not f 
Australia, is it? Back to your, your boxing stuff. You, you actually have been knocked out, but it was on screen this time when you were starring, well, I use that word loosely, but you are in a fight movie. Oh, and you yeah. were playing, playing a fictional character, Jake Walker. I, I, I think you've yeah, seen this one, Smokes. But, uh, oh, yeah, how was, how was that performance me. from you? I'm not getting into Academy, Academy Awards, that's for sure. So they gave me a non-speaking role. I've never made sure of that. And like, there was no, still waiting on the invite on the Academy Awards. So, uh, yeah, no, I was just a friend of mine in... in um, in Perth was made a, a, a movie and actually about his life and then they just needed some fighters and there's some sort of thug-like characters so I'm not sure why I didn't get the – I thought I should have got the romantic um, <laughs> the romantic guy there, mate, but they had me in there as some thug fighting. So um, we spent a couple you – know, like a whole day just filming fight scenes. So um, I could have sent you in a PS I Love You remake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was – I think was, I saw you in the trailer of that one. Yeah, had a pretty, pretty big role in the trailer, I hear. Yeah, well, I, they had to um, – what they wanted was – obviously, I had to, at the end of the fight scene, I ended up getting knocked out. So um, they said, okay, we can put some crash mats down and um, what we want to do is just face plant into the crash mats, but we want it to – you want to see your face hitting. So I said, oh, okay, well, we can do that. Just It's okay, I'll just do it on the floor. We don't need the crash mats. So they were like – are you sure? I said, yeah, no, it's all good. Um, I'll just do it. I'll psych myself up and I'll just, I'll just face plant. So um, they're like, oh, they're pretty excited about it. Says, you know. <laughs> so I just, I, I got hit and I just basically just full on face planted, didn't put my hands down, just face planted. So they didn't have the, the camera running. <laughs> I said, mate, I can't do that twice. That's it. So we ended up, I ended up, did do it again. I said, give me a break. Give me, psych myself back up. And we did it again. And that actually made the, the trailer. So um, yeah. Oh, good. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so obviously being a you know, professional athlete in probably three sports you'd, you'd claim there, is there any others that we've got to add to the list? What's your golf like? Oh, like my that? golf is horrible. I think I'm like literally, I always say, I try and pick my, my mate's always trying to get me to play golf and the only way I can get out of it is that golf's for people who can't fight. So it's like, <laughs> it's a, a horrible, I've got, I'm not only my bad at it, I've got bad etiquette. I like, I get bored, I start driving the golf buggy. I just, I now know just not to accept it. As so you can't play golf or fight, no. No, no. It's you need water ski. <laughs> no. We were both on the uh, on the golf cart driving the buggies around while the, the Queensland Bulls golf day was on earlier this year. So oh, we really? Yeah. We've got to have some designated drivers, has even on the golf mm. course. Um, so I guess that uh, that leads me to my next question, Smokes, in terms of your your interest in multiple sports, obviously. Something that I was definitely not aware of, so I assume that probably most of our listeners won't be aware of as well, is that you actually founded, created and produced probably a TV show that I got absolutely hooked on and I think you would have as well has, yeah. uh, which was Australia's Greatest Athlete, the Rex owners sort of Australia's Greatest Athlete. That was yeah. that was you. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I created and produced it. Um, it was, um, I mean... I'll be lying. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm able to be sued off of this podcast, but I think the three listeners won't dob me in. So, <laughs> I um, basically, I was on a show in England called Superstars, which was along the same lines. It was athletes from each sport competing in a bunch of generic events to see who the who the best athlete, all round athlete, was. So I sort of shamelessly stole that, and um, that's the first thing is to have an idea. I didn't realize what you had to go through to get something on TV. It was huge. So I happened to know the guy um who's commissioned tv shows for channel 10 i went in and i told him 
the idea I had and uh, he said I like the idea he said all you need now is two million dollars uh, and to be able and to get a letter of intent from all the athletes if you get that if you come back with that then I'll um, I'll put it on okay. so I was like okay well that's the end of that number yeah. one I can get the letter of intent from all the athletes that was easy enough but two mil two mil I didn't have the lazy two mil laying around so some uh, of us has yeah <laughs> that was my next phone call <laughs> but um, anyway it was uh I just so happened to have a friend who worked at Octagon and they were representing and asked to devise a television format type show for Rexona. So we collaborated and and we, we put that show on and that led to three seasons of yeah, that. It was three seasons. I remember yeah. watching – how did you come up with like the list of athletes that you were going to target? Because I remember watching the first one and like Andrew Simons was the cricketer, mm. Billy Slater was in it, um, Brett Deledio was in it. Like mm. who – obviously that – did you actually sit down and go, these are the athletes I would like? Or well, they are. We actually came up, we had more than that. We had better ones. But So the first ones, well, not that those were too bad. Yeah. I mean, we had Ben Cousins was the first one, yeah, but true. obviously he encountered some problems. He's a close family friend of, um, of ours and he was best mates with my brother. Yep. And um, so he encountered his problem during that time. And then the other guy we had was Andrew Johns, who actually then went to the Notting Hill Festival in England and he got done for his um, drug problem there. So it was like we were calling it the curse of Australia's greatest athlete. Then we had Mundine, who I thought would be – he was always calling himself the greatest athlete. That's right. That would so be perfect. Yeah. he came out with his um, 9-11 statement then. So Rex Owner, all the time with Rex Owner ringing me up every day going, get not rid of him, guy, get rid guy. of him, yeah. get rid of him. So then we had Barry Hall and then he knocked out yeah, the, the punch. So it was, like, right, it was like yeah. ridiculous. It was like this curse that went on. So the, the – Billy Slater, unbelievably, at that time, wasn't very well known. He wasn't yeah. as—I mean, he was well known, but not like Andrew Johns not like or Johns, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of like a step down. Yeah, um, it's kind of Australia's it, second greatest. Yeah, athlete. it was kind of like that. But now, since you know he's gone on to, I'll take credit for his whole rugby league career, obviously. <laughs> Got him but started. Yeah, I was the one who started him off. But uh, yeah, that was how it, how it kind of worked out, and it's a really good fun, like good fun series and. I've heard you were you were trying to do a sort of a version of that in Asia, maybe, and uh, yes. trying to get hold of MS Dhoni to be That's a part correct. of it. How did, yeah. how did that go down? Well, without revealing numbers, because I'm not sure we're allowed to say what the athletes got, but they, they got a they got a, a decent figure to come in. They basically we filmed the show over the period of a week. Is that seriously? Oh, that was actually what I was going to say. Sort of behind how the scenes. How did we get them? Yeah, yeah. how did he get them for? for that was all in a week. Though. We we filmed it in five days. So we made it, we filmed it in such a way that it looked like they were coming back every week. And mm. so obviously a new location, um, we had to change the locations around. Um, but they, we, there's no way we would be able to get different athletes from the different sports over that period of eight weeks. So we filmed, I think it was like 16 events in five days. So we're doing three or four events a day. Yeah. Um, and then we had to piece it all together, reverse engineer it. So the the... The athletes got, they got paid well. Yeah. They got paid well for um, for the week. I can't say what they got, but um, they got paid well. And then we went to, I got asked to do the same show in India, take take it over there. So I basically got all the athletes, but we just needed one athlete. We needed a cricketer. And um, Couldn't find a cricketer in India. <laughs> well, no, we could find a cricketer, but you try and find a cricketer that's going to be looking good in a pair of Speedos, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and the only one we could come up with was Dhoni. So it was as in like, he's, you know, the other Indian, they're wonderful cricketers, maybe not necessarily renowned for their athleticism. So we thought Dhoni was the one we needed. He was the big name at the time. So yeah. that was the one we wanted. Without him, 
without a cricketer in India, I don't think the show works. So he came back and we said, look, this is the figure that we pay all the athletes. The other seven are signed on. They said, well, he wants five times that figure. Oh. So we were like, okay, we went away. We said, well, we can't do that. You know, like that's a hell of a lot of money. So um, he, they went away. We thought about it and we thought, well, the show doesn't, there's no show without him. So we'll give him that. So we went back and said, okay, we'll, we'll give you that figure. And they went, oh, no, 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 not for the whole show, for each day. So <laughs> it was like, and we were like, well, that's bigger than our entire budget. His, his, the fee he wants is bigger than the entire budget for the show. They said, well, that's okay. If you don't want it, we've got, he's got 80 of these days lined up like for different products and whatever that he gets paid for this amount. So no big deal. He doesn't care. So it was like, <laughs> it was like next level money, yeah. So you just had to bin it then? Just bin it. It didn't ever happen in India. Yeah. Happened. The Indian females missed out on seeing all those Indian athletes in their speedos. Yeah, that's a shame. That would have been. <laughs> that's a what? That's just a real shame. It would have been like a cross between Hunger Games and Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. No, that's, a, that's an unbelievable show. And surely, so were you always on set? You were always involved? Yeah, in yeah. I was, I was pretty much from... I designed all the events, um, pretty good, the logos, um, the script, um, the concept, the trademarking, everything. I did everything from, I mean, obviously there was, we had to hire a camera crew and everything like that and we had event staff, but pretty much behind everything, yeah. And those athletes, like they, they actually quite sledged each other a fair bit and yeah. stuff as well on camera, was that... That was, yeah, that was encouraged. I mean, I thought because the, the one thing about the show I was with in England was um, it was very much event-based and there was you didn't get to see the athletes. So it was – they had a different athletes every week and they'd come in and it was very much see who the fastest is. There was no – but I thought, well, what the public – I mean, that's what you guys – I presume why you run these podcasts is you people want to get to know the person. They want to know the, the – it's all very well. You want to go and look at my stats on, on Wikipedia. They're there and but – you don't really know anything by looking at stats other than I wasn't that good. But, <laughs> but you don't get to know the person. So this, I felt the same with the TV show, um, that we want to get to know the people. We want to know Andrew Simons. I don't want to uh, – it's nice to see how fast he can run or how strong he is. That's interesting as well. But I also want to see the banter. And so we encourage, we mic'd them up and we encouraged all that sort of banter. As if you would do, you're with your mates, you know, you, you, you sledge and we wanted to capture that, so – as I've just had a brilliant idea. Oh, we got the chocolates greatest athlete oh. competition. Out of the three of us, Mitch and you and I. And Smokes. And Smokes. <laughs> oh, mate, you can't put me in this. Like, I'll, be, I'll win the hot dog eating competition. Now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Smokes, is it? There's, I read this. I'm unsure of how true it is because you've never obviously shown me any evidence of this, but are you a qualified hypnotherapist as well? I am, actually, yes. So, um, when I retired, I was when I retired from cricket, I was retired, retired. Like I did pretty well out of the game, and I made some good financial decisions, um, and then one really bad one, and lost it all in two thousand and ten. So um, yeah. I um, we actually did read about that as well. We we're unsure of whether we were allowed to ask you about nah, that. Nah, there's nothing. It's all out there, mate. It's on everything's on 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 the record every anyway. So I'm an open book, and I'm never hidden from from anything. But what I did when I finished was I just actually. Went and did a whole bunch of courses. I was pretty bored as well. So um, I went and did some basic carpentry. I did some bricklaying course, uh, hypnotherapy. And I was just doing things that I just felt interested in. So I went and, and tried to learn some skills. So um, 
So if, if cricket coaching doesn't ever work out for me, I can hypnotise them into believing that I'm doing a really good job. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Do you actually, is that a skill that you practice? Like if we were to go, could you hypnotise us right now? Because I've always been real, I'll be honest, I've been real yeah. sort of sketchy about Yeah. How. Well, yeah, I think, look, those people who go on there and do it on a scale. Yeah, like a TV show. Yeah, I mean, um, that's, I don't know what goes on there. I don't know if there's people that, have, that's a skill I'm not capable of. But I've seen people licking their thong like it's an ice cream. And yeah, stuff like that. Like clucking like a chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. I don't. I don't know that. I mean, look. I think basically the reason why I had an interest in it is I. I basically used to use self hypnosis, which, in my opinion, was basically just like deep visualization when I was playing or fighting. So it was something that I just had a big interest in. You know, meditation and um, being in control of my emotions and my mind. So I then saw this hypnotherapy course available, and from what I can see, hypnotherapy is basically teaching people to be in a state of self-hypnosis. So I'm not I'm not able to get women to take their clothes off. I'm like, <laughs> that's a skill that I would definitely abuse. So <laughs> there would be a real influx in people signing up. Yeah. yeah no, funnily, I don't know why I've got no female customers. It's like <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was so it, it was just an interesting thing for me and I um, – and 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 I and I did that, and I still have an interest in it. So yeah, absolutely. There's something that I do need to know about, and I think Lee's really wanting to know about this too. He's probably too shy to ask, but it's about your hair. Um, oh yeah. Every time yeah. I see it, it's in great condition. It, thank you, you know, sir. A good even coverage, ideal oh, hairline. I've got oh. more greys than you, and I'm half your age. Yeah. About that. So uh, yeah. what's, what's the secret that there? We're recording, and I forgot to wear my hat. Yeah. Well. well <laughs> so so I reckon it was. Four or five years. If you see pictures of me about five years ago, I reckon I look five years older than I do now. Yeah. So I started to lose my hair um, and I went to uh, went to England and I, I landed there and this, this, uh, I got a message like a, a guy and wasn't proud. I don't know how he messaged me, but this guy said, hey, uh, I can't help but noticing you're starting to lose your hair. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's a way to start a message. So I said, let's see your hair, mate. You know, like, so I sent a message back to him and I said, send me a picture of you. He says, I haven't explained myself very well. I own a hair transplant clinic. Would you be interested in a hair transplant? I'm like, nah, mate, it's all good. I'll just shave it off. I've got a good shaped head. I'll just like, <laughs> I'll go with that. So um, he um, he said, look, um, we'll pay you. So I just encountering some financial problems at the time. I said, this is very timely. Um, <laughs> what what are we talking here? So he said, we'll give you like a you know decent amount of money every month that you your face appears on our, our website. So... Uh, landmark hair uh, hair transplants. If you want to look it up, I'm Absolutely. there. I'm, uh, I'm still to this day an ambassador for them, and they um Can they put two because I saw a YouTube video of you waking up after your hair tra- hair transplant uh, as well. That's yeah, up there. that's. I'm not sure you meant to sleep while it's happening, but I was like had a big night the night before, so <laughs> I'm hung up, very hungover. I know it was meant to be painful, but I was slept the whole way through. So I um yeah, they just filled my hair in at the front and um, gave me a new hairline, and it's amazing. It just um yeah. It's like nothing happened. It's like, unbelievable. Yeah. That is outstanding. And mm-hmm. something that I'm obviously very interested in has, in fact, um, and uh, you probably noticed that my hair has improved in terms of shininess and just general appeal. Mm. Yeah, I've definitely noticed well, is, that. It the, is it the fame, the, the newfound fame <laughs> yeah, from this podcast? That. Yeah, that's right, mate. You want to look good in front of all seven viewers. Yeah. <laughs> Smokes <laughs> has put me onto a couple of tablets, has, so you watch. In a couple of weeks, I'll have an afro. Oh, yeah, just, just started taking them, so yeah. That's a great result. You have to be wearing a tea cosy by the next season. <laughs> it's going to be long <laughs> and glorious. Oh. 
So we mentioned earlier your joke telling prowess and how we've mentioned it in the previous episode. Is there any chance of dusting one off for us and uh, telling, letting the listeners listen to one? Well, it's it's um, putting me on the spot a little bit, but uh, and I usually I always do the same thing. I was like, we have a jokes with smoke section before every um, it's perfect every warm up. Um, so we start the day. I think it's a nice way when any team that I coach always have a jokes. So I nominate someone if it's a four day game. We go with someone, but when the segment first started, it was um, just rolled off the tongue quite quite nicely. Jokes with smokes, and and then I'd always make out. My, my my own style, I got my own style. My own style was to pretend that I didn't have a joke. And then it was like, but a funny thing happened to me on the way into the ground today. And then you'd like, and people were then left unsure whether it actually happened or if it was indeed a joke. So um, I don't actually, I actually um, don't have any jokes at the moment. Um, well, but but funnily enough, on the way to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I was driving in actually, I was driving in and um, I do an the hour commute from Gold Coast to Brisbane every day when I'm coaching, and just as I was pulling into the car park here at QC, um, I I wasn't really I was looking I was seeing I was a bit late, so I just ran into the back of this car in front. So I was like, oh no, now I'm going to be even later. Anyway, I jumped out of the car, and um, as I was like walking up to apologise to this person, it was the driver got it as a dwarf. I was like, you got to be kidding me! So I'm trying to keep it together. Anyway, the person, this little dwarf gets out and starts running back and um, he just starts shouting at me. He goes, oh, I'm not happy. I was going, well, which one are you then? <laughs> uh, dad jokes aren't over. Yeah. <laughs> They're just so effective though. <laughs> well, Smokes, actually, in fact, when, when we were leaving Adelaide, you were actually, you had your tuxedo on your shoulder and you were heading straight over. You were flying straight to Melbourne rather than yes. back to Brisbane. You were sort of doing a bit of a, a dinner or a lunch in there that you were speaking at, weren't you? Yeah. Is that yeah. sort of like, is that your style to, to come in and just give it a bit of, jokes or, or do you actually find that people want they're interested in asking you other questions or do they want you to tell stories what do you sort of do with those engagements yeah I think I kind of like try and um look at the the crowd you know what I mean like if I'm at a a school then I've, I've got a certain um you know stories that I can tell there um if I'm at a gentleman's you know lunch then you know you can like you can elaborate on the stories and you can go down a different path so you kind of work your audience out um you know and then the elder audience they, they're sort of they want to hear the stories about the old players if I start talking to some you know young kids they don't know half the people I'm talking about so and then also you've got to work out what you're doing if I'm doing corporate stuff you know you want to talk about motivation or leadership so I try and just in everything I've ever done in life, I was like, I always say, like, when I, any team I'm ever with, I always say, you know, it's not the strongest or the most intelligent species that survive, it's the one most adaptable to change. And that's, I'm shamelessly stealing that off Charles Darwin, but I'd like to claim it as my own, but I can't. Um, and I just kind of think that in life, like, whatever you're doing in life, like, when I fought, I became a fighter. When I'm, you know, speaking, I try and adapt to my crowd, or when I'm playing cricket, I try and adapt to the conditions. So, I'm constantly trying to adapt to whatever scenario I'm in and and fit into that. So um, I think as soon as you don't do that, then you're you're probably not giving yourself the best chance. Yeah, very fair, very fair. 
Um, now, Smokes, we obviously when we interview people, uh, we always try to give them a chance to uh, to obviously ask any of their own questions um, at the end because mm. we've spent the whole time grilling you, really. Mm. So we just think it's uh, just a nice thing, just a nice courtesy to extend to mm. essentially just give you the opportunity to, to ask us any questions or embarrass yeah. us. I mean, usually people directed it has and his financial. Uh, how would you describe it has? Being tight yeah. on money. Be yeah. tight. This money. Be tight. I, mean, uh, I don't know. You never take him out for a drink, but I guess that explains <laughs> it. <laughs> I've never been out drinking with you, but now I know. Yeah, that's right. He also doesn't drink either. So <laughs> <laughs> there's two things there. Yeah, well, if you don't drink, it's like a funny one, isn't it? If you don't drink, like, do you go, if you're having waters, you can't then go shouting, like, alcohol for everyone when you're drinking waters, mate. It's like, doesn't it's, really it's make that, sense, does it? Yeah, no. it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, you're more of a chocolate thick shake, though, man, though, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I definitely have. Uh, Maybe order the odd chocolate thick shake when out and about. On, on but the then night. you're not going to say, you know, if you're out with the boys and it's like, can I have a seven four X's and a chocolate milkshake, please? It's like, you well, <laughs> it may have happened once. But <laughs> <laughs> Luke Feldman tells a very good story about that one. <laughs> but definitely not regularly, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, no. So I, yeah, no, I was, I was like, I was. Um, I, th- I sort of looked at you guys, like I said at the beginning, I said, you guys re- do really do remind me of the Adam Holyoke. You're just out there having a go and it's it's good to, it's, this is episode 32. Episode 32, this is, yeah. yeah I don't reckon you're making 40. I reckon you're done, mate. I reckon <laughs> like... You, this is yeah. probably the pinnacle, to be honest. That's as good as it gets, this interview. Jesus, so. yeah, we maybe 35 then. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a way to round out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic, Smokes. We appreciate you obviously making the time uh, and mm. for having us and allowing us this, our, our debut of podcasting on the road. So yeah, thank good. you very much for I'm, being with I'm going to be you. late to again to the Gabba now for the Brisbane Heat game. I might lose my contract, but that's all yeah, right. It's yeah. been worth it, mate. It's been <laughs> worth well, it. Sometimes you just got to risk it to get it. I see you slumped over the bar drinking a chocolate milkshake <laughs> later on there, mate. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect. Thanks yeah. so much, Smokes. No thank worries, you. guys. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks for listening. That was our chat with Adam Holyoke and Mitch. I'm sorry that you were not involved in that one, but wonderful interview, wasn't it? Uh, yep. I haven't had the chance to listen back to it yet, Lethal, but I'll <laughs> trust your judgment on that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, we do apologize for it being a little bit late, that is for sure. Uh, but if you liked it, uh, please don't forget to rate it and review it wherever you choose to listen to your podcast, maybe Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, and then if you have any feedback or ideas, Mitch, where can people find us now? Uh, on any sort of form of social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, ETC, um, but probably more easily nowadays just on our little website that I've, I've constructed Where over is the last that, couple of weeks at wegotthechocolates.com.au. What a website. Uh, yeah, Fantastic. yeah, one of the finer ones I've seen. So you can find all the information you need there, links to all of the social medias that I just mentioned and get in contact with us from the website as well. So yeah, Absolutely. Carry um, on and do that. Yeah, continue to loiter around our socials, please, guys. We're getting tagged in some great stuff. Let us know any funny stories that you have from your week or weekend. Uh, because we certainly love hearing from you and we love talking about you. Anything else to add, Mitch? Uh, no, not too much. Maybe just to share on social media would be handy yeah, if you don't do mind. Love. Yeah, don't keep it to yourself. That. It's yeah. selfish. Share it with other people as well. Yeah, that'll do us. Fantastic. Good luck in the fours, everyone. Bye. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Das war mir natürlich